All right, well, good morning again to you. Like I said, my name is James, and my wonderful wife, Brooke, uh, was just here right with me. She's gone out with the students, all the 6th through 12th graders going to meet. And uh, tell you a little bit more about myself. We got three. Uh, we like to call them the Nuggets. Um, five years old, three years old, and three months. And our two oldest are boys, Lucas and Camden. And uh, man, they are just so, so very much fun. And then our, our youngest, Ansley, she's three months old, three, four months old. And she is the most Christ-like of the bunch. Uh, but she is just awesome. Uh, but it's great to be with you. Uh, I'm the student ministries pastor, uh, if I haven't met you before, and uh, like I said, it's great to be here with you guys. Today we are ending this series, so a lot of pressure here, concluding the series on worship and living a lifestyle of, of worship, and uh, I hope that today will be very helpful for you, and I hope that none of us, as we walk out of these doors today, that we would be the same. You know, you ever think about that, like God... It's, it's time, it's an opportunity for me to be changed in your presence. And so we're going to talk about that today, what it means to live a life of worship. So our series is Consumer or Consumed. Consumer or Consumed. I'll talk a little bit about what that means in a minute, but if you want to make some notes, post a selfie, whatever you want to do, uh, any selfie takers in the room? Those people, don't, those people don't like to admit it, but they are. Okay, and uh, so you can hashtag your comments. If you've got questions, if you want an outline, or if you just have general questions about the church, uh, you can go to, or you can email info at bridgechurch.cc. But uh, I just want to take an opportunity right here at the beginning just to connect with my audience. And I want you guys to know that I'm very human, and I want to know if you guys are too. How many guys you feel a general sense of busyness in life, a general sense of busyness. Okay, how many guys at some point in your life you felt busy? Okay, yeah, that should be everybody in the room. Um, and so I, I want to know, I've got a few different scenarios, and I want to know if maybe you identify with me in some of these. Okay, you guys ready for these? All right, uh, how many guys you get so busy that when you go to check out at the grocery store, you kind of eye up a couple different like checkout lines? And you're just trying to figure out, how am I going to get through the fastest, right? You're checking out, and you're like, okay, this lady, she looks like a couponer. Does she have coupons? I know the barcodes are not going to scan on her coupons today, so should I pick the other line, right? And, and how many of you guys, no matter what, right, you have, you have like this algorithm in your head to try to figure out who's going to go through the line quickest. No matter what your predictions are, you always pick the longer line. Oh my goodness, that is me. Like, I'm busy, I'm in a hurry, I want to get out of there. And, and I picked the slowest line. If you have the secret, by the way, just let me just talk to me afterwards to get through the fast line because I really do want to know. How many of you guys, um, you're so busy that you multitask while you drive? Okay, this is the one that no one raises their hand to. We don't want to admit this, but like, you know, you're shaving, right? You get shaving your legs or whatever it may be. Uh, you know, you're eating, you got your coffee, right? And all that good stuff. And, or, or maybe you're driving and you come up to a stoplight. It's red and it's got two different vehicles like right there. And you're, you're just trying to decide, who do I get behind, right? And you're like squaring up this, these cars like, okay, soccer mom van. She's in the left lane. All right, she's probably in a hurry. She's got a game to get to, so she's going to be in a hurry. But wait a minute, there's Bubba in a pickup truck, okay? Bubba's probably on the way to go hunting. And so he's probably in a hurry or something like that. And then you see a retired sticker on the back of someone's car, and you're just like, no, I'll go choose the other one, right? <laughs> right? No, I'm just kidding. Unless they're military retired, I think those guys step on it pretty quick. Um, 
And if you're not one of those people that you're busy yourself, uh, you know that other people are busy just by like going into a public bathroom. Because it's like, you ever go into a bathroom and you look at the sink and, and it looks like somebody just was baptizing things, like baptizing the sink and baptizing the walls. There's like, there's water everywhere. And it's like, really, were you that busy where you couldn't just wipe that up, right? We live in a very busy and fast-paced world. And, and so, you know, talking about this lifestyle of worship, it, it's going to cause us to look at how we live our lives and to cause, you know, us to make some adjustments and make some, you know, little tweaks here and there to give God the time that he deserves. And the, the, one of the worst things about busyness is it can distract us from the things that we are created to do and from the person that we were created to be. In John 4.23, it has been kind of a theme verse for this series uh, and it talks about worshipers, and these are the words of Jesus in John 20, uh, 4, 23. And Jesus says, Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when true worshipers, everybody say worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the, ki- are the kind of worshipers, say worshipers, that the Father seeks. So Jesus isn't just saying the Father seeks worship. He's saying he seeks worshipers. And he enjoys our worship and our praise, but he is seeking for us to be people that are worshipers. Now, I know if you've been here during this series, you know that that's just more than the 20, 25 minutes of music that we have, right? That certainly is worship, and it's an opportunity to express our thanks and our gratitude and to spend time with God in a way that we would not spend time with God during the rest of the week, right? If you have a live band come out of your closet when you go to have a prayer time, I'm like, wow, okay, that's amazing. But, you know, I enjoy that time because it's, it's a, a time like un, you know, unlike any other time, um, you know, throughout the week. And so, but we're also called to be worshipers with our life, with our lifestyle. If you guys are familiar with the, the story of Abraham, and Abraham um, for many years did not have a son. And all of a sudden he has a son, he's old in age, And all of a sudden, God tells him what? He says, go up on the mountaintop so that you can sacrifice your son. And he's probably like, well, let me make sure I'm hearing you right, clean out my ears like God. And that's what he called him to do. And one thing that I found unique about that story is when Abraham told his wife that he was going to take his son uh, Isaac up on the hill, he didn't say, I'm going to make a sacrifice. He said, I'm going up on the hill to worship. And I was like, wow, that is incredible. And one thing that I realized from that is worship is a sacrifice. Worship is a sacrifice on our part to say, God, you are mighty, you are in charge, and I am not. And for us to yield our lives to that um, is is something that we've got to do. And I, I love this quote from Garrett Gustafson, who's been, uh, this quote's been used during this series quite a bit. And it says, worship's is the acts and attitudes of wholeheartedly giving yourself to God, wholeheartedly in every facet of your life, spirit, soul, mind, and body. It's like the master key to your heart, right? Sometimes we just want to give God just like the little compartments, right? I'll give you a key to this compartment and this compartment, but God, don't touch this part. Don't change this part. It may upset me. But God is asking for the master key to our hearts. And that's what we want to look at today and and how to live our lives accordingly. 
And so um, we're going to come back to, to busyness and, and all that stuff a little bit later. But I want to recap last week for you. Uh, if you weren't here, I encourage you guys to check out, you know, the past services, the past uh, uh, preaching pastor messages. Uh, you can go to the podcast. You can go to bridgechurch.cc and, uh, and look up those. But last year, or excuse me, last week, uh, the preaching pastors talked about worshiping when it doesn't make sense. And they looked at the, uh, the, the quote of Job in his life, and I love this quote. Job said, though you slay me, still I will trust in you. Though you slay me, still I will trust in you. And they talked about, man, if you're hurting, and if you're in pain, and if you've, you're dealing with something that is just so much bigger than you, and you feel like is overtaking you, well, then give it to God, right? Take that hurt to him. Take that pain to him. You know, the whole the series title of Consumer or Being Consumed is all about it, this mentality of, of not being this consumer, going to God and say, God, what can I get from you, right? It's, it's, it's like the little, uh, you know, candy machine where you punch in like D9 and it goes, and then just drops your candy, right? Sometimes we treat God that way. We go to God and say, God, what do I need right now? And we punch in our little code and we say, and we say our prayer. But being a, someone that is consumed it's like saying, God, I'm not coming to you saying, what can I get from you? I'm coming to you saying, God, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I surrender my life to you? That is going from consumer to being consumed. And that's what this series is all about. Now, we're going to jump into the Bible. How many of you guys love the Bible, right? New Testament, Old Testament, there's different genres of Scripture. There's some genres of Scripture, like um, if you guys, any of you guys are artsy-fartsy, like the creative type, like Pastor Jared, like he probably loves like Psalms and like Proverbs. That's like a genre of Scripture. That's like poetry and stuff, right? And then you've got genres of Scripture that's like history, like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and all this stuff. Then you've got the Gospels, right? And that's where we're going to go today. And the Gospels are different viewpoints, different writings of the life of Jesus, and so um, we're going to go to that genre of Scripture, and, and this writer, Luke, is writing about an account of Jesus and two other women. And there are Mary and there are Martha. And just to give you guys some context, Mary and Martha had a brother. His name was Lazarus. This was the guy that Jesus rose from the grave. And, uh, and if, you vi if you see in the, in the New Testament, Jesus' life, you'll see that he visited their home very often. And so the story takes place uh, in their home, and on this certain occasion, uh, Jesus was visiting them. They were having dinner with them and the disciples. And, and there's the older sister, who is Martha, and then there's the younger sister, who is Mary. Now, Martha, the older sister, she's the one that gets so caught up in preparing the meal, all right? She is one of those doers, right? And then there's this younger sister, Mary, and she's caught up in something else. She's caught up in sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him. So we've got three ways to live life consumed. Three ways to live life consumed. And uh, I want to give you guys some practical stuff as we conclude in a little bit. But let's check this story out. It starts in Luke 10, verse 38. And it says, Jesus entered a village. A woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel quite at home. Well, it's a pretty good, good idea. He's the son of God. You made him feel at home. Like that's, you know, generally a good idea. All right, and so the first very simple, nothing profound about this first point, but the first point of what we've got to do to live our lives consumed for Jesus Christ 
is to welcome God in my world. We've got to welcome God into our world. It's not profound or anything like that, but we've got to start our days off with going, God, I know you are omnipresent. There, there is nowhere on this earth where your presence is not, right? But God, welcome into my day. Come into my day. Be with me throughout my day. Speak to me throughout my day. Give me promptings of what you want me to do, the things you want me to say, the actions you want me to take throughout my day. So number one, welcome God into our world. And, uh, and so we go on in the story, and we're going to see some, some examples that Martha did that were good, and so also some, some examples that Martha did that were not so good. So we're going to learn from both sides of the coin. So she invites Jesus into her home, but things started to go really wrong after that, right? And so we can learn from some of these mistakes. So Luke 10, verse 40, and it says, Martha became angry because she had so much work to do. All right, now I'm going to stop. I'm going to read back over this. Ladies, I'm doing you a favor, okay? Especially if your man is in the house tonight. Now, here's the thing. Men can read over this stuff, and we just won't even notice she's angry, right? We can read over this stuff, and we can, like, look at these stories, and we won't notice an angry woman, okay? But I'm going to tell you, we're going to start back over it, read it really slow for all of us guys that just wouldn't catch that the first time. Martha became angry, right? Because she had so much work to do. She went in. You ever been at that place before? Like you got so much going on and you're just like bubbling up inside. And because she had so much work to do, she went in and she talked to Jesus and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me alone to do all of the work? Tell her to help me. Right? So she's mad. And what she's doing is she's choosing the work of the Lord over the Lord of the work. And so she's angry. And so the next thing that we're going to have to realize what we've got to do after inviting God into our day, after inviting him into our presence, the second thing we got to do is we've got to deal with distraction. So we can say, God, I invite you. And then I've got to deal with the distractions on my left and on my right. And, and you know, I thought to, you know, through some of the ways that we lose focus, right? We lose focus. How many of you guys have kids? And like this happens all the time with my kids. They lose focus. We say, clean up the playroom, right? And so they start cleaning up the playroom. Well, then they find a toy. Like, I haven't seen this toy in a while because it's been buried under the other toys. Like, and then they're like, oh, and they lose focus, and they start playing with that. And I'm like, guys, we've got to focus. Remember the task at hand. So we've got to deal with areas of distraction. So I've got a few areas of distraction that, um, that we've got to deal with. So we lose focus in these ways. We lose focus in these ways. Number one, when we start losing focus, one of the signs of that is we start accusing Christ. And we see how Martha did this. She started accusing Christ. She, she said in Luke 10 verse 40, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care, right? She's, she's angry, and she, it's almost like she's, she's scolding Jesus because of his unwillingness to set Mary, her younger sister, in line. You ever been at that place where you start accusing Christ? God, if, if things would just slow down for me, I would be able to serve you better. I'd, I'd be able to have less distractions. I'd make more time for you if, if things would start slowing down, right? Or if God cared, this circumstance... He, he would change this circumstance. God, if you really care, just change this circumstance. And those thoughts start to slip in, guys. 
and we start to be distracted. Those thoughts start to slip in, and we start to, to lose focus on how to live for Him. And, uh, and so the next common thing after we start accusing Christ is the next common thing is we th- start to throw a pity party. Anybody ever thrown a pity party? All right? You're nudging somebody. You do it all the time. Right? Don't do that. That's accusing people. Don't do that. Okay? So we throw pity parties, and, and, and Martha did this. Luke uh, 10, verse 40. She says, my sister has left me alone to do all the work. Right? And then, so we start accusing Christ, and then we start looking around on our left and our right for someone to blame, to, for someone to take the brunt of it. And we start to become critical of others, right? Maybe you got a project at work, and people just are not working like at your expectations, like you would like them to work. And so you start getting critical of, of those other people, and they should be serving, they should be doing the same things that I'm doing. They're not putting their best towards it and all that stuff. And here's one thing. This scripture caught me off guard. Uh, Dr. Wall sent this scripture, and I was like, wow, I never even realized this. But in 1 Thessalonians 4.1, if you'll put that scripture on the screen, you guys read this out loud with me. This one's powerful, and it just, man, it just really uh, challenges me. It says, 1 Thessalonians 4.11, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Everybody out loud? To mind your own business. Wow. <laughs> I didn't realize the Bible told me to mind my own business, right? But it's just, it's just like that, that idea. And even Jesus had a parable where he said, hey, there were some guys that there was a, uh, uh, an overseer that went out and he recruited some workers for the day. And he some, recruited some workers at 6 a.m. And he said, I'm going to pay you this amount, right? And they went back at 12 uh, in the afternoon. He recruited some workers and then three. And then he recruited some workers at 6 p.m. And then at the end of the day, he went to pay them all and they all got equal shares, And the guys that were working the longest were so upset, right? But the whole moral of uh, the parable that Jesus spoke was, if you agree to something, don't look around to your left and your right. Mind your own business. That's what they all had agreed to, and so that's what the overseer paid them. And so I know that's a tough thing, man. It's, It's a tough thing not to look around and get critical of others sometimes, especially when you feel a lot of pressure in life and you feel a lot of anxiety towards maybe things that are going on. But we've got to learn to be better than that. We've got to learn to surrender those attitudes to Jesus Christ. So some of the things we start doing when we get distracted is we start accusing Christ, we throw a pity party, and then we develop a demanding spirit. Luke 10, verse 40, Martha says, tell her to help me, right? You can imagine this. She's getting in the face of Jesus going, tell her to help me. Like the Son of God is there. I can imagine just sitting back and going, whoa, right? So she she did some things right. She welcomed him into her home, but then she got distracted with the other things, right? She got caught up in her duties and her work, and Jesus is silent till the end, right? He's silent and he's hearing these things. And I want to tell you, man, if Jesus is silent, that doesn't mean that he's not about to speak. That doesn't mean that something isn't about to change. But we've just got to trust and do what he's called us to do. And, and we, if we deal with those distractions, we invite him into our day, we deal with those distractions, man, he might be able to move. He might begin to speak. So like we said, welcome God into our world. We deal with distractions. Third way to live our life consumed is to make knowing him a priority. Luke 10, 39, and also verse 42. Martha had a sister named Mary. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him. And then Jesus speaks. He says, 
Mary has chosen the right thing. Mary's chosen the right thing, and it will never be taken away from her. She took advantage of being with Jesus. Now, sometimes you might read that and you go, why is Jesus rewarding lazy behavior? Have you ever thought about that? Like, you know, Martha was getting things done, right? And we're, I'm supposed to do that. I'm supposed to work at, work at things as if I'm working for the Lord. Well, in this particular scene, in this particular scenario, Jesus was saying the, the right thing for her to do in this moment is to sit and be with me. It almost reminds me of when Mary Magdalene came in and she broke the, the perfume over Jesus' feet. She washed his feet. And some of the disciples were so angry. They were like, this is a year's worth of wages that she just broke over your feet. And Jesus, we could have used that money and sold it and used it to feed the poor. And Jesus said in Mark 14, he said, the poor you will always have with you. He says, uh, but you will not always have me. And so I think that's kind of what Jesus was saying in this moment was, I'm here and I'm in her presence. And she's t chosen to take advantage of that in this moment. So like I said, we welcome God into our world, we deal with distractions, and we make knowing Him the priority. And just to give you guys a couple of practical things, is the, the first thing that we've got to do is we've got to, as we take practical steps to apply today's message, we've got to create time with God early and often. Create time with God early and often. And hey, listen, you may be one of those people that... You say, I love having quiet time, love spending time with Jesus at night. And that is absolutely fine. I don't want to argue with you about that. I just know that I've been taught from some mentors of mine, if you don't get it done early, and if you don't make it the first thing, many times other things get in the way. The distractions happen and the demands of life just happen. And so we've got to get up. I would, I would challenge you to create time with God early and often. And like I said, I work with students, and one thing that I tell them is very, very simple. But I tell them, hey, start with the 10 and the 10, right? 10 minutes reading, maybe start the book of John and just read John chapter 1 and just reread it, reread it. And then 10 minutes thinking about it, praying about it, talking to God about it, sharing with God about your day. So the 10 and the 10, because you know what? That discipline that you create in those moments is going to eventually lead to a desire, and then you have that discipline, and it's going to lead to desire. And that discipline leads to more desire. And all of a sudden, the 10 and the 10 is now the 30 and the 30, or the 15 and the 15. And all of a sudden, you start growing that desire to, to spend time with God. And um, th that's what he wants. It's like, it, it's like, you know, throwing baseball with your dad, you know? It's just, you're not, you're not really, there's no big agenda or anything like that, but it's just... You're throwing baseball, and you're playing catch, and you're throwing baseball. And, and the significance of those moments is spending time with your father. It's not about the drops. It's not about the fastballs. It's about spending time with our father. So the first practical thing we've got to do is create time with God early and often. And this one's going to be a little bit of a challenge to us, is to choose to move beyond the Martha prayers. Choose to move beyond the Martha prayers. What did most of Martha's conversation with Jesus look like? Most of it was out of this, this attitude of frustration, out of this attitude of, of anger or whatever. And let me stop and balance right now. If you come to God with those things, he doesn't say, oh, you're just complaining. Leave me alone, right? No, I mean, the whole sermon last week was about that. But if, if 
only your, if your prayer life only consists of those type of prayers, God, you just got to help me with what's going on, and you just bring in these complaints to Him, there's a, such a much more rich prayer life than you can have. If you, if you wouldn't just make it about you know, bringing your anguish and your pain and all that to Him, but what if before you started asking God for all these things, you stopped and you thanked God for everything? What if you entered into a time with him with saying, God, thank you for all of my blessings. Thank you for all the people in my life. God, thank you for the, my church. And we change our prayers from these Martha complaints to a more rich time that's centered around gratitude and centered around our focus being on living for him and not what we can get from him. I love the, these prayers uh, in Exodus. Moses prayed these prayers, and I'll give you a little bit of a context, and, and context in Scripture is such a powerful thing. I mean, if you think about the context of, of Job, him saying, though you slay me, still I will trust in you, and everything was taken away from Job. He, his family, all of his wealth, everything was taken away from Job, and if you know that, then those words of Job seem so much more powerful, and the Scripture has so much more meaning when you realize the context of that. And let me tell you the context of Exodus 33. Now, these were the Israelites. They were the people of God. They had been in bondage, in slavery, treated harshly for over four centuries. And they were crying out for God all along. God, free us from this Egyptian slavery. All of a sudden, God gets a hold of a guy named Moses. And, uh, and so through a series of, of Many, many things went on, and so Moses leads his people out of, Israelite, or out of Egypt, right? And he leads his people through, you know, a miracle of uh, God parting the Red Sea, all this stuff. You guys are probably familiar with it. And so what are they pressing on towards in those moments? They're pressing on towards the promised land, absolutely. And so you can imagine, you know, all you've ever known is slavery in Egypt and pressing on towards the promised land. And that is what you're looking for. It is the land flowing with milk and honey. But then Moses has some time with God. And he sa it says in uh, verse 15, Then Moses said to God, If your presence does not go up with us, do not send us up from here. Well, the from here is where he is now, right? The from here is not quite there, right? From here is I'm not in the promised land yet, but I'm on the outside on the, on the cusp of it, right? But he said, the place that we've been looking for, the place that you've called us to for over four centuries, the place flowing with milk and honey, God, if you're present, if it doesn't go with us, we'll just stay right here. We're content because you're all we want and you're all we need. That's almost like saying, God, if it means like pressing on and getting a raise and getting more wealth and acquiring more things, if that means that you don't go with me, I don't want to go. I mean, that is a bold prayer of Moses, but it speaks to his value of God's presence in our lives. I want to read you guys a story, and then we'll close out. This story is called... The Rose. I hope you enjoy it. It's from a Reader's Digest, right? So you know it's like fact, right? Uh, <laughs> but it's a story about a guy named Ken Blanchard and Beverly Manel. And uh, it's a, the setting is uh, the World War II era. Ken was drafted during World War II. He had no relationships, no family to write to. He went to the library 
one day and he got a book before he, he went off to war. And he loved the comments in the book so much. And so he said, man, I'm gonna, I want to look who wrote these comments because this is great insight. And uh, he looked who checked out the book before him and it said Beverly Manel. Well, you know, back in those days, you could look someone up in the phone book. So he looks her up. He gives her a call. He says, hey, listen, I just loved your insight. Um, I'm, I've been drafted into the war. I'm going off the war. Um, I don't have anybody to write to. There's no family. And I would just love, can we be like pen pals and, you know, just write back and forth to each other? And so she agrees. And a few months later, it was clear that they were becoming more than friends. So he decided that he would send her a picture and in return, he would ask for one. And so he didn't want to, you know, build the relationship based on pictures or, you know, looks or anything like that. But uh, his words to her and back and forth had just been so honorable. And, uh, and so she decided that she wasn't going to send him a picture. And he was disappointed, but he was okay with it. You know, they were just such great friends. And so he got his discharge orders one day. So he writes her a letter you know, about three weeks before he's, you know, shipped back home and he says, hey, I'll be on this train on this day and all this good stuff and tells her where to go. And, um, and he didn't ever know if she got the letter or anything like that. And he, he told her in the letter, he said, if you will wear a red rose on that day, he said, I'll be looking for you and I'll have a copy of the book with me. Well, fast forward to that day. And you can imagine his anticipation as he's getting off the train and he begins looking around, right? He's looking around and trying to find her. And he doesn't see her, but he sees this gorgeous girl, right? She's in a bright green suit and she walks past him and she flips her hair. Ladies, you know. Oh, you know, right? She does the hair flip and she says, are you going my way? And he's thinking, man, I wish, but there's no rose, right? So she looks at him again, and she says, Soldier, are you going my way? And he's thinking, I'd love to, but then he looks, and he sees her. This lady had an old coat on. Her hair was not kept very well. Her shoes haven't been cleaned. She was just, in the words of Reader's Digest, not a fine specimen, right? And he knew in that moment that it probably wouldn't be a romantic interest, but she had been such a faithful friend to him. He thought, no wonder she didn't want to send a picture. But he walked up to her and he said, ma'am, what an honor to meet you. I'm Ken Blanchard and it would be my honor to take you to dinner tonight, my first night back in America. She looked up at him wearing the rose and all of a sudden had a little puzzled look in her face. She said, "Uh, young man, I'm not sure what's happening here, but a lady in a green suit walked past me And she told me to wear this rose. And she said, if you walk up to me and if you invited me to dinner, to tell you that she will be waiting across the street for you and also make sure to tell him, you passed the test. You passed the test. Isn't that awesome? Here's the thing. We all want that relationship with Christ and we all want to be super Christian, right? But in reality, sometimes... We don't want to pay the prices. And it's a hard life to live, to live for Christ. But you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it. Have you ever 
You ever gone to a concert or maybe uh, you heard some filming was happening in the area or something like that, and you met somebody that's like a celebrity, right? Maybe you paid the price to, to wait in line. Maybe you paid the price for backstage passes and all that stuff. And, and all of a sudden, you meet this person, and it was like a joke, right? It was like, man, that, was, that guy, that was such a letdown, right? And you were just so disappointed. Well, I want to tell you, if you pay the prices to make room for God in your life, you won't be disappointed. You won't be disappointed and you won't be upset because you know what? He, he's here to give us a more rich and fuller life. But it only comes with the mentality of God, what can I do for you? How can I live for you? How can I show the light of Jesus Christ to other people? Not the consumer mentality of what I can get from you. So if it's cool with you guys, I would love to close out in a time of prayer, and I'm going to kneel, and I would ask that you guys bow your heads. I think this is a, a special moment because we're ending this series on worship. And I always used to think that bowing our heads in church was just to avoid the distractions, but it's not. Bowing our heads is a symbol of us coming to a king, and it's a symbol of humility. If you came before a king, you would bow, right? So let's bow our heads, and let's just Get in a posture, in a heart, in a mindset of humility. God, we thank you for each and every thing that's been spoken over the last six weeks of this series of worship. And God, we get so busy in life that we forget that living a lifestyle of worship is the most important thing we could do. God, help us to live these things out. Help us to prioritize a lifestyle of worship. We are not called to be spiritual chameleons in this world. We're not called to think like, to deal with other problems like, to talk like the rest of the world. We're called to cry out for you for dependence. We're called to invite you into our situations and to trust, to not figure it all out, but to trust. So God, will you help us do that? Will you help us live this lifestyle of worship. We know it's a sacrifice, God, but we also know that it's worth it. We love you so much, and we ask all these things in Christ's precious name. And everybody in the room said, amen, amen, amen.